The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Hey, the hoverboard is here, and four months before Marty McFly gets his, we'll look at the technology behind the Lexus deck. Apple Music is here. We'll look at the streaming service and how the evolution of music resembles the software industry. Who's going to play the Super Bowl halftime show? Britney versus Taylor Swift is more like the Pepsi Taste Bud Challenge than you think. Plus, the winner of the RHA in-ear headphones and why percussive flatulence can lead to a $500 fine. Opinions are like the Blackberry Bold. You find them everywhere, but nobody's impressed with them. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. A little while back, Tony Hawk rode a fake hoverboard the internet thought was real. He had to apologize for that. And then Lexus now posts this video for a vehicle that we've all wanted, but never thought would actually come unless we were watching Back to the Future 2. And it's apparently a real hoverboard. Okay, just in time, too, because if you remember Back to the Future 2, it was set in October of 2015. Yes. So we're running out of time. This better be real. Apparently it is, according to Wired.com. It went under the uh, headline, How It Works. The one-word answer, magnets. Okay, so it needs a track, right? No, apparently... um, Unlike the other models, and this was interesting, too, because when Tony Hawk came out with his fake hoverboard video, he actually later on did a real one with a company, Hendo. They require a track that has a copper surface for it to hover. This one appears to be doing it using ultra-cooled magnets. So ultra-cooled magnets, which means that they have zero resistance, which means you have to cool them to, what, two-tenths of a degree above absolute zero? I have no idea what the quantum levitation states are at right now. The weird thing, though, is that I thought that you would need the ultra-cooled magnet on one end, and on the other end, you would still need some metal. But according to this video we're looking at from Lexus, uh, they're just in a regular skate park, although the guy never actually steps on the hoverboard. Oh, oh, he doesn't, does he? No. I'm suspicious. Well, we have until, I think it's October the 18th to get this done. According to Lexus, the hoverboard relies on superconductors and magnets, which combine to repel the force of gravity and lift an object like a skateboard. And the question is, is is this really going to be the kind of thing that we can have at some point? Or is this just basically Lexus looking for a way to get us to talk about them? Is there a power source? It looks to be on board. It'll be ceramic magnets. Yes. Okay. And the only way for ceramic magnets to work at that level would be to supercool them. With liquid nitrogen. With liquid nitrogen, or or worse. Minus 321 degrees Fahrenheit, apparently. Okay, so this is really practical, was what you're saying. Yeah, because, you know, instead of pulling up uh, to the gas station or pulling up to the electrical outlet, you'll now be pulling up to your liquid nitrogen <laughs> gas station. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you ever perform those experiments in chemistry class in school when you put a rose in a beaker of liquid hydrogen or liquid nitrogen oh and then it shatters when you pull it out it shatters like glass yeah 
But this all just sort of reminds me of the 80s with the Back to the Future and all that. And you had a really neat um, rejoinder to the music from the 80s is crap by pointing out that the music from the 80s is better than you might remember. Well, I didn't write this. This was written by uh, one of my my, uh, my, my contributors. Uh, one of your minions? One of my minions. Adam uh, Morrison. Th- yes. And, uh, you know, Adam, Adam thought about this very, very carefully. And he went back through a bunch of songs from the, from the 80s and asked us to reevaluate them. Maybe, maybe this music wasn't so bad. Maybe we were all just wrapped up in our little musical tribes too much for us to actually appreciate some of the music the other tribes were playing. And, you know, he does have a point. Uh, today's kids are much more ecumenical in their musical taste. They'll like the Beatles. They'll like Kanye West. They'll like Taylor Swift. Uh, they'll like The Cure. They'll like Guns N' Roses. It's, you know, whatever moves them at that particular time. It's not like back in the day when we were growing up, when you had, uh, for example, in my world, you had the the alternative kids and the rockers. And the alternative kids were never allowed to um, fraternize with the rockers and vice versa. If you tried to change tribes, you would be beaten up going in. Mm-hmm. And then when you were going back to your old tribe with your tail between your legs, you would be beaten up trying to get back in. So it was all very, very tribal. And you weren't allowed, for example, as a Smashing Pumpkins fan in 1991, you were not allowed to say, you know, there is some Judas Priest and some Black Sabbath elements to what the Smashing Pumpkins do. Maybe I should go back and listen to them. No, you couldn't do that. You couldn't. You couldn't admit that you would like any of these dinosaur bands. But now it's completely different. And and Adam brings up a really good point. Some of that music from the '80s that you may harbor prejudices for, you may have found that those biases and prejudices have melted away. Prince released back in 1982. 1999 and in 1984 Purple Rain uh, Jackson's Thriller came out a couple of years before that also in 84 Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA I get up in the evening and I ain't got nothing to say I come home in the morning I go to bed feeling the same way I hated that record. I really? just absolutely despise that record. I thought you were a big time rock on. I would have thought you'd been all over that. Oh no! I, I Springsteen was one of those guys that you know I was dead against because I was always you know he was playing stadiums. I was interested in the kids and the bands and the music that was being played in the dark goth clubs with the blocked out windows and everybody was wearing black. That was music, not that Springsteen crap. Oh, so that would have been 1980s Closer by Joy Division, uh, the first six albums of R.E.M. or uh, Sonic Youth. Or Susie and the Banshees, or or maybe Front 242 or Ministry or something like that. Yeah, that was my thing. I really uh, came into my own in 1987 with The Cure's Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. Double album, very good record. that came into the radio station when they played toronto i went to see the band everyone showed up wearing black leather jackets i was the only guy showed who showed up wearing a white denim jacket <laughs> and my parents were um in the uh one one of the buildings overlooking the stadium uh, just sort of enjoying the evening on, on the patio and watched as the crowd of kids went past and they could tell when i went past oh there's michael wearing his <laughs> white 
denim. Didn't even bother with mascara, did you? Oh, God, no. I was not that cool by any stretch. <laughs> the only way I actually got these tickets was that they were given to me because my grandfather was the president of the CNE at the time. And, of course, in 1987, it was the band shell yeah. at Exhibition Place. Yeah, I remember when they used to haul that thing in with a tractor and set it up in front of the grandstand. Exactly. Yeah, I remember that. That was, I think it was at that show in 87, as a matter of fact. You probably were. Martin Streak was at that show as well. Pushed past me to get to the box office to get some tickets for some concert winners. <laughs> and I'm like, what? what, what, what but you were wearing off, a pal. white denim jacket. I mean, uh, you deserved to be pushed. I'm just trying. You know what? I probably, you know, if I was... I probably remember you thinking, oh, what's that bright spot up on the grandstand? Uh, did I not tell you my, my moment with Robert Smith of The Cure? Mm. Um, because we got the the executive seats, and as you know, at concerts like this, the first three rows or so have been dedicated to the big shots who want to show off to clients and all that kind of stuff. And oh, in yeah. many cases, the first th three or four rows are empty, particularly at the beginning uh, when uh, the opening act shows up. But me and a bunch of buddies, I, I mean, Managed to get tickets for, for us and our girlfriends, even though I didn't have one at the time. <laughs> Laugh it up, Fuzzball. This, no, no, this is getting more pathetic by the moment. Keep going. And so we get there, and we are third row back, just off to the left. But there's nobody off to the right towards the center. So we all just sort of move to the center to get the best view. And about... Um, 20 minutes into the show, we get a tap on the shoulder from security ordering us to push back to our seats because this father, his wife and two children showed up. He was in his 40s. Um, the kids were probably 12, 11 and nine. I'm like, what are you doing bringing a nine-year-old to the concert? The nine-year-old got a big kick out of it. The others did not. Dad was hugely into it, but we made a point of screaming in their direction to piss them off after they had kicked us out of their seats. But while we were going back and forth, some guy snuck down from the cheap seats and stood right beside me, dressed in full Robert Smith garb. With the hair? The hair, the outfit, the makeup, the whole nine yards. Smith works his way towards our side of the stage, looks at the guy, looks at me, looks back at the guy, looks at me again, and gives me one of those shrugged shoulders. Oh, well. <laughs> he and I had a moment. I have a Robert Smith story. She may be the I was sent to London to interview him. And the interview, I was told, was going to happen at 2 o'clock. I says, okay, I'll be there at 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. No, no, no. Robert works from 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. The interview will take place at 2 a.m. <laughs> in the Hilton Hotel next to Gatwick Airport, which is close to Crowley, which is where he lives. So I get out there for 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm ushered into a hotel suite. There is one light on with a very dim bulb. It's a lamp. And I walk in the room, they close the door behind me, and it's dead quiet. And then I hear this shuffling. And then from out, from the kitchen, out comes this apparition with the hair and the makeup and the unlaced high-top running shoes. And he shuffles over to me and he says, hello, I'm Robert. To which I replied, yeah, no shit. <laughs> one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. 
You're listening to Geeks and Beats on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Bell Media Radio Network. Okay, I've got a problem with this new Apple Music. Already? Yeah, before we get to the actual app itself, Apple Music is a streaming service. Like you, I was willing to hit the $9.99 per month, knowing that I get the first three months free. But it's like a gym membership. I swear to God, I'm going to end up paying 10 bucks a month whether I use it or not. Yeah, you really got to know how to unsubscribe because at the end of the 90 days, it just automatically charges your credit card month after month after month. So you have to opt out somehow. It's negative billing like a cable company. Do you like it? It's okay. It's not as radically Apple as I was expecting it to be. But, uh, you know, having played with it for just a little while, it's 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 all right. It's kind of iTunesy. Um, I'm just gone through all the bubbles mm. trying to create my my playlists. Now, that's the thing. When you upgrade your operating system to support the new service to, uh, to iOS 8.4, you get the music icon, which, first of all, they changed the color of the icon. Yeah, I don't like that. Don't approve. For the first while, I was like, where the hell to go? Anyway, so I, I hit the button and up it pops after I'm willing to commit to $10 a month, even though I don't intend to. The little bubbles were the bubbles that said, okay, tap one once for um, musicians you like, tap twice for musicians you really like, and hold it down to get rid of the ones you don't like. Wait, how, how did you know that? Well, I read the screen. Oh, well, I haven't got time to do that. <laughs> so it, it said, okay, uh, all right. So what, what do I do now? I got to go back and change everything. Well, I don't know if, if you want to, because when it asked me to, to tap on the ones that I really did like, uh, they weren't really artists that I particularly liked. I'm okay, sure, I'll tap Taylor Swift. Yes, I'll tap um, Elton John. You didn't tap Taylor Swift. You didn't tap Taylor Swift. I did. I got a thing for Taylor Swift. Mm. And not just because she's a pretty girl, mm-hmm, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, some of her stuff's actually pretty toe-tapping. But set that aside. I- I'm sure I like Elton John, but I don't listen to Elton John. Well, after I chose all these bubbles, what does it pop up with? Streaming Elton John. Uh, yeah, you know, and that's exactly what I'm getting here because I'm getting uh, a Sonic Youth stream. I'm getting a Coldplay stream. I'm getting a Pixie stream, but here, here's what you do: uh, is is if you say we're done here, click on that. That's all. The bubbles disappear. Oh, and there we go. Here, if you um, uh, go to your for you page and then pull it down, yeah. Uh, it'll reload with some some new playlists, uh, new playlists or new suggestions. So then l- let's talk a little bit about this because the new how the hell did that? Wait a second, wait a second. Just uh, I it just recommended Madonna's like a Virgin album to me, and you never selected no! Madonna or Pop. No! Did you select the Pop Bubble? No. All right. Well, maybe they got some bugs that need to work out of this. At the bottom row of the new app, it's got for you new radio connect and my music. So it's relegated what you already have in your world to the back of the bus. Once you tap that, it lists your library or your playlists. When you check a playlist and you say, I want to listen to this, what it does is it puts the now playing at the bottom row of the screen. It's a little quarter inch high display. Okay, take me through that again. This is important because I'm looking at this thinking there's no way I'm going to be able to keep a good eye on that, particularly when I've got it mounted on the dashboard of the car. And then I realize that the original now playing screen still exists, but you have to swipe up from the bottom. Okay, wait a second. Let's just go back here. So I'm on the new tab, right? Okay. Okay, what do I do? 
So, no, 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 I'm not on the new tab. I'm on the My Music tab. And you just choose a song. Where's the My Music tab? Right at the bottom far right. Oh, yeah, there it is. See, this is this is part of the thing is, is they've completely redesigned it. And in some ways it's better, but it's not as intuitive as it once was. So when you hit play and it slides a little uh, display along the bottom of your screen, swipe that little display up and you'll get your original view. Okay, hang on here. The streaming side of it compared to, say, Tidal at 20 bucks, this is $10. RDO and Spotify are free. From what you've gotten into so far, what's your assessment? I don't know yet. I'm still... How do I get that now playing thing in a... See, now now you're stuck on Madonna. <laughs> well, I am. I mean, I'm a little insulted. It's day one, and they've already given me music I don't want. One of the neat features, though, about the uh, the new music app on your iOS device is in the olden days, it gave you that five-star rating. Mm-hmm. Did you ever do the five-star rating? Never. I know you did. Yes, I went through the rigmarole of that. And then, of course, every time you upgraded your iTunes library, it blew them all out. Mm-hmm. Now, instead of a five-star rating, it resorts to just a single heart. Tap it. You like it. Now Apple knows you like it. Now, what do I do if I share? Can I share it? Oh, I can share something here. And that's the weird thing, too, is there's now a share option built in almost everywhere, which, of course, routes you if you tweet it or Facebook it right back to the Apple iTunes store so that other people can buy what you're currently listening to. And that works for entire playlists. This is rather interesting. That is the only thing that I'm seeing here that that really drives you back to the iTunes store. And that's sort of the point, isn't it? Because they know that they're selling fewer downloads and they know that the kids today don't care to own. They're more willing to stream, rent their music, as it were. And with that in mind, driving you back to the iTunes page where you can actually buy the track you're currently listening to must be an effort for them to prop up their sales. Maybe, but I'd be interested to see exactly uh, how badly this is going to cannibalize iTunes sales. Cannibalize iTunes sales? Or affect iTunes sales. We'll put it that way. How's that? Guys like me aren't willing to spend the $10 a month, so the chances are very slim that after the three free months are up, that I'm actually going to continue to use it. I I used it for 10 minutes today, largely because I'm more concerned about chewing up my bandwidth than anything else. Mm. How much bandwidth do you have? I've got six gigs, and I share it with wifey, which is fine because she doesn't do a heck of a lot, but the last thing I need is to burn through my my data. At six gigs, that sounds like a lot. Oh, no. But considering you're paying a megabyte, you've got a megabyte a minute of high-quality audio. That can add up pretty quickly. It can. Okay. Well, I'm going to play with this a little bit more. I'm going to listen to uh, Beats 1 a little bit uh, further. I haven't really made my decision on that one yet. The the radio station, the international radio station. Yeah, the global 24-7 radio station. We'll, we'll see how that works. I still don't get that, largely because you know, we don't really want to hear the DJ. All we're interested in is the music. Yes, we do. I'm sorry, Mr. DJ. No, no, no. no. See, you're the problem. There you go. <laughs> You are what cause unrest in my industry. By the fact that I'm not interested in some jamoke who's got no life experience Ah, on the radio telling me about... uh, Okay, the point is you don't hire jamokes. You hire professionals. Well, don't tell me that. Tell your business that. I think we better wrap up this uh, this segment before I punch you in the throat. (laughs) Via Skype. Time now for a Geeks and Beats news update. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, 
This is a GNB News Update. Shall we get straight to the winner of the RHA T10 noise-canceling headphones? We have been stringing people along for a couple of weeks, so let's just go ahead and do it. And the way it worked was if you wanted to win these $250 noise-isolating in-ear headphones from RHA, uh, which are, uh, as we've been discussing quite actively, they're Scottish, so you know they're not crap. Um, they, uh, the only way you could actually win them is if you were a member of the world's worst intern program. It's the way we thank our interns for opening their wallets and uh, donating a dollar an episode. That's what makes it the world's worst intern program is you work at the show and you pay us. And uh, so the, you get a ticket, a raffle ticket for every dollar you donate. And uh, Blaine Bartlett donated a dollar to the big show. So he is the big time winner as we raffled it off in a random draw. Wait, he donated once and he only donated one dollar? Yeah. Wow, that defeated the uh the, the, the strategies of the people who donated twenty five dollars and thereby got 25 tickets. Yes, but it does work out sometimes because previously we've given stuff away. We've had people uh, throw in 100 bucks into the kitty and win, you know, $500 gadgets. So that is still a strategy that can work. It just didn't work this time thanks to the uh, uh, the gods of the Intertron. Hmm. Okay, well, congratulations there, Blaine. Uh, you will love like these headphones. They uh, are approved by both of us and they're way better than any beat stuff that you may have. We would really appreciate your support on the big show. It helps keep it up and running. So if you would join the world's worst intern program, what you can do is you can make it a dollar you can make it two dollars five ten as much as you want really but you also can set a lifetime limit so that at the end of every week when we create a new episode we ding you and then we don't go over your lifetime limit a great way to ensure that you support the show without us running up your credit card so go to geeksandbeats.com click on the support the show link we'd really appreciate you helping us out we should also say hi to everybody who's listening to the show now courtesy of nightflight.com speaking of the 80s speaking of the 80s this is a program that you might remember from the USA Network back in the 80s. It was an all-night thing. And uh, the guy that ran that back then has acquired or reacquired the rights to everything that Night Flight did back then. It is nightflight.com. We are the one and only podcast on the website. Uh, we are happy to be there. And uh, if you have access to the website or any of the articles that we do uh, for Night Flight, uh, please let us know. We'd be very interested to hear from you. Geeks and Beats update on uh, Rush's favorite studio that went up for sale for $18,000 in uh, Quebec. Yeah, this was uh, Le Studio in Moran Heights, Quebec, near the Laurentians. It was a very famous studio from, I guess, sometime in the um, middle 70s through to about the early 2000s. Um, but then it fell on hard times, like a lot of recording studios, because record company budgets were slashed. You couldn't just set up and, uh, you know, set up in a studio for months at a time. The Bee Gees, for example, rented the studio for five straight months. You just don't see that anymore. So without that kind of money coming in, you it's hard to maintain the place. It's hard to uh, invest in new gear. So the place fell into disrepair. And um, by 2009, it was uh, had been sold a couple of times and was up for sale. Somebody wanted to, the current owners wanted to turn it into some sort of spa retreat. It's a very nice place. It's on a lake, 233 acres. It's, it's a glorious little place. But um, the owners fell in arrears to the town of Moran Heights to the tune of $18,000. And you know what towns do when you when a property goes into tax arrears is they put it up for auction. So the price on this was $18,000, the amount of money that they owed in taxes. But the owners stepped up at the last minute, paid the tax bill, 
and the studio was spared from auction. So it is still in the hands of the, the current owners, but it is no closer to being sold or renovated or anything. That's the disappointing part about it. It's quite the dilapidated studio. It looks like it's just sort of returning back to the wild. Oh, it is. It really is. I mean, you've got squirrels and mice and skunks and everything in there. The only thing that really exists from the, the old days is the pool table. And you can, you can wander into the place and see all the, the graffiti that Rush fans, because Rush made eight al- or made seven albums there, you can see all the graffiti that the Rush albums left on the pool table. Uh, as for everything else, all the gear is gone, the roof is falling in, the yard is overgrown, um, it's leaking, it's, just a, it's, it's, in, it's in bad, bad shape. And it's not the only recording studio that has fallen on hard times. I mean, we saw uh, the record plant in New York close, we saw Olympia Studios in London close, we saw Sun, uh, Sound City in Van Nuys, California close. Uh, George Martin had air studios in Montserrat in the Caribbean, and it closed. It was killed by a hurricane and by a volcanic eruption. Um, and there have been, you know, all these big studios have been closing down because record company budgets have been slashed and nobody can afford to use these places anymore. There's a guy by the name of Richard Baxter who is trying to rebuild the studio Morin Heights. He needs $2.4 million. His Kickstarter campaign has 3,764 pledged. Yeah, there's not a lot of enthusiasm for this one, unfortunately. $2.4 million is the price for the property. This is something, this is a price that's been in place since uh, 2008, and nobody has stepped up to, to pay it. The photos of it are really quite remarkable. They've managed to keep at least some of it in here but by and large you're right it's just a, it's just a shell of its former self and i can't imagine they're going to get to that 2.4 million dollar goal with 27 days left to go no when you consider that it's up in the mountains there and it's the snow the cold the water the rain uh the wildlife the mold all that sort of stuff has just taken over and it, it would be you'd have to tear the place down and start again Geeks and Beats updates on uh, the battle between Taylor Swift and Britney Spears for the Super Bowl halftime show. This is not going to be a battle. No? And I'll tell you why. No, it is going to be, if it comes down to these two performers, Britney Spears is going to win easily. Oh, is this because Taylor Swift's got a deal with Diet Coke or something? That's right. Taylor Swift has a long-time endorsement deal with Diet Coke, and if you know anything about the Super Bowl, which I know you don't because you don't (laughs) understand sports, uh, Pepsi has been a long-time sponsor of the halftime show. Mm -hmm. And which of these two women do you think has a long-term deal with Pepsi? Britney. So it's going to be Britney is what you're saying. Yes, it is. It'll be Britney. Has Britney actually done anything in like the last five, ten years? Oh, yeah, absolutely. She's had a number of albums. She's had a residency in Las Vegas. She's done very well. Um, We just don't care. She went off the rails for a while. Remember when she shaved her head and started beating up paparazzi? Mm. she's, She's, you know, back to normal, as normal as Britney gets. I can imagine there's a lot of pressure to repeat the performance that Katy Perry put in. I've seen here the halftime show last year was 118 and a half million viewers. The most viewed halftime show in the history of the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's going to be really tough to beat. The NFL also doesn't pay to, for performers at halftime. 
Didn't I see something that suggested that the NFL was considering charging performers to be the halftime act? Yeah, they were because of the exposure that you get. I mean, 118 million people sitting down to watch you. I mean, what does that translate to in terms of your career? Right. But at the same time, you're a performer. You're putting in a performance. You're there for a reason. People are tuning in to see the performer at your event. There isn't a performance fee, but I think the NFL does offer... uh, some financial assistance for the staging of the production, but you don't make any money as the performer for performing. That's always been the case? Well, it's been the case certainly in the last five or six years. Hmm, Okay. I'm I'm looking up here. I see that uh, Spears will have completed her 11th leg of her Piece of Me Las Vegas residency before Super Bowl 50 arrives. Yeah. And by the way, it's going to be Super Bowl 5-0. Not Super Bowl L? That's right. Why not? Because (laughs) nobody knows their Roman numerals that well. I think when they started the Super Bowl back in 1967 that... They didn't think it would make it that far? No, not at all. They, or certainly nobody thought far enough ahead. To, you know, what do we do when we get to 50? Ah, we'll worry about it when we get there. That's so far in the future. We'll have hoverboards by then. <laughs> or not. Or not. Stand. So, yeah, it'll be Super Bowl 50, not Super Bowl L. Next year, we'll go to Super Bowl L1, which will just confuse a whole lot of other people because I don't think they teach Roman numerals in school anymore. If they make it L1, people will just think it's a Samsung smartphone product. Mm, that's a good point. So then next uh, 2017, 18 would be L2, L-L-I-I. Yeah, this isn't going to help. You're going to have to wait until you get to Super Bowl 54 before people start to realize that we're back at Roman numerals. That would be L-I-X. Licks. Oh, God. Super Bowl licks. (laughs) Think about that for a second. Do I have to? Want to write for the big show? Go to geeksandbeats.com slash newsroom to learn about how you can be a part of the world's most popular podcast. Do it for the glory and the love of the game. If we paid you any less, you'd be paying us. Geeksandbeats.com. Skirting unpaid intern laws for over 75 years. That a turntable has to act like a table that turns. Well, ever since Emil Berliner came up with the idea of the rotating disc more than 100 years ago, but 115 years ago, 120 years ago, we thought that the easiest way to play these things was to lay it flat on a rotating platform and let the stylus be drawn by gravity into the grooves and then just spiral through the grooves. But there are a couple of turntables that I've seen recently that stand the record on its end, like vertically, and play the record that way. There's there's one here that um, has a tone arm, and it's it's kind of freaky because it's like you've turned a turntable 90 degrees, and you see the tone arm track across the record like you would if it was laying flat, like a regular turntable. So that's kind of cool. But then there's this other one, which is called the Talk, which actually, you have a picture of it there. It looks like a giant almond. 
and you you slide the record into it, kind of like it, it looks like you're slicing, you're putting it into a toaster, mm-hmm. and uh, it just spins the record that way. And what's interesting about the talk is that it has track skip functions, which is something the other one does not have. Um, it works like a CD player. So if you're on track one, you want to get to track three, you hit the the skip button, and it will read the grooves and take you to track three. It's kind of cool, but I mean, if you're a serious turntablist. This is not the kind of gear that you're buying. I see by looking at Roy Harpaz Industrial Design, his website, that uh, it looks like it's monitoring where the grooves are in the record itself, and it's got a USB port. Two USB inputs allow PC, smartphone, or flash drive to capture the music while it plays as it converts from analog to digital. Is there a retail price on this thing? I don't see a retail price, but I see that this Almond supports your um, singles as well as your 10-inch and your 12-inch records as well. It's still a bit gimmicky to me. I don't, I don't, I don't like it. Well, I always thought that part of the issue was that you wanted to uh, use the tone arm to get the vibrations from the grooves using, as you point out, gravity, and that's what gives it its warm feeling. If you're just basically using a laser to record where the grooves are and turn that into noise, that's a little different, isn't it? And I would also think that if you've got a tone arm that's operating vertically like that, you're going to have to apply some pressure to it so it stays in the groove. And that can't be good for the record. Not on a long-term basis. You know, and I don't know how well this would, I don't know how well this would work for, with, with the records that are, that are slightly warped. I mean... It says it works with warped records. Okay, maybe it does. Maybe it does. But you're going to have to load some weight on this tone arm so it stays in the grooves. That's not healthy. Are you still listening to vinyl, by the way, like at all? Like, when was the last time you actually spun a disc? I'll tell you, it was uh, Friday. I was, I, last week, I was in London. I went to Rough Trade Records on Talbot in Notting Hill, along uh, off Portobello Road, and I went to a guy named Nigel. Nigel works behind the counter, and he, I go to see him twice a year. I thought his future was in British Steel. No, stop it. And I say, Nigel, give me all the cool, give me 10 cool 7-inch singles. And so he did. So I, I've got a, somewhere here. No, I, no, they're in my office still upstairs. But I, I have a pile of brand new seven-inch singles that I that from a variety of labels on a variety of different colored vinyl, uh, different types of colored vinyl. And uh, yeah, so I, I've and I've got a turntable right behind me here. So wasn't Rough Trade Records uh, a sort of a punk record store? Well, it was. Uh, it was. It was certainly a, a new. I didn't call it that. Let's call it an indie store, an, an indie music store that uh, dated back to a guy named. Jeff Travis back in the uh, middle to late 70s and they had a record label for a while and you know um, the Smiths for example were on Rough Trade. I I see here um, and I'm reading this on the internet so it must be true that they formed the record store in 1978 and uh, Buzzcocks, the Smiths, Desperate Bicycles, uh, Scritti Politti Mm -hmm. uh, all began selling out of that particular store. Little tiny store, not very big at all. I bet you the um, the public area is probably what would that be? Uh, twenty five by twenty five. That's all it is. There's a basement where they sell vintage vinyl, but the big store is uh, on Brick Lane, off Brick Lane in the East End of London, and that's a really cool store. If I go in there, uh, I'm not coming out. Are we uh, due for another downtown Toronto record store show? Uh, we they had one March 29th. That was the last one. No, they have two. So they have one in March, one in November. Mm. So and then there's a variety of ones that go on throughout the summer. But the big one that we'll go to again will be um, mid-November. All right. In the meantime, you found this gadget uh, that uh, allows you to record 
studio quality, at least it's claiming to be that, wireless recording with a built-in recorder. Yeah, I get um, I get uh, um, newsletters from Indiegogo, and, and um, I guess I've shown some interest. Indiegogo, Kickstarter, some of these other ones. And I ran across this one. I'm always looking for a microphone because I'm doing, I do a lot of interviews with people. And uh, I used to have to take all kinds of, you know, crazy gear with me, you know, DAT machines or cassette players or, and then, then, you know, expensive microphones that had to be hooked into a mixer and all that sort of stuff. You don't need that sort of thing anymore. What I, what I use right now is, is basically, is, is my iPhone with uh, an iRig microphone. It works great. It, it really, really does. But I, uh, this is really interesting because basically what it is, is a uh, little box size of a couple, maybe a, what would that look like? Uh, size of a deck of cards, maybe a bit thicker? Maybe two decks of cards together, but half the height. Right. So you put that on the table between the two of you, press the, the record at the button at the top, and uh, you get a great recording uh, of you talking without having to put a mic back and forth between the two of you. And because it's using Bluetooth, but it does have its own built-in storage, you don't need your iPhone to be there at the time. You just hit the little button on the top, and it starts recording. It's fantastic. You know, if this thing actually works, uh, I'm trying later this week. I'm hoping later this week to talk to Bono. And uh, I don't know if it's going to happen. I'll let you know. And I would love to be able to walk into a room with something like this, put it on the table between the two of us, hit the record button, and not worry about a thing. That would be fantastic. Well, setting aside the technology side of it, as someone who does a lot of interviews as well, if, if you're sticking a mic in someone's face, there's a psychological separation between the two of you. If you could walk in, sit down, put this little half deck of card black box on the table, hit the little red button, and then just start a conversation within minutes, your interviewee forgets that there's even a microphone there, and it's more likely you're going to get a better interview. Exactly. There's a Heisenberg principle that goes on with microphones in interviews the moment you try to the moment you show somebody that you're measuring their responses with a microphone uh, you change the outcome yeah absolutely because of the psychological barrier that is formed and the expectations of the interviewee and the interviewer become different but if you were just leaning back in chairs and having a chat then everything changes the dynamic goes off in a completely different uh, direction, and you would get the most spectacular conversation. It's the mic me that we're talking about. The wireless recording microphone is on Indiegogo right now, and with uh, it looks like they've met their oh, they've got 28 days left here, but they are 695% overfunded on their $25,000 goal. They're at 174 grand already. Yeah, so I don't know how long it'll take for this thing to come into to market. Certainly won't be in time for my interview on Friday. No. But, uh, you know, I if this thing comes this thing actually hits the the marketplace I'm buying one. The retail price is close to 300 bucks but they figure that if you're willing to contribute to the Indiegogo campaign you'll get a mic me microphone for 189 US dollars. You know, a studio grade sound they're talking about 24 bits and 96 kilohertz. I mean, that's really good. 7 hours of battery life, you have 8 gigs of memory for speech. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Uh you know, this would change everything for me. 
when it comes to to doing interviews. I again, I would buy this thing in a heartbeat. It's allegedly able to be used not just for voice, but for music as well to be able to capture it. And I'm dying to figure out exactly how the gold plated true condenser capsule works, because I can imagine that the best thing to do is to have multiple microphones spread throughout a, a unit that can tell which direction the audio is coming from so that it can silence the audio and the ambient noise in the room. So you don't get that echoey echo chamber. Exactly. Effect. Yeah. So $249. Okay. You know what? I'm going to have to do something with, with this. Okay, so that's for musicians, uh, particularly, I suppose, for those who play strings or they're singers. You found an interesting story involving a drummer. There is a blues bar called Madam Organs in Washington, D.C., and I guess the neighbors have been complaining about the noise coming from the club over the years, so they reached an agreement whereby that if there is live music being played in the club, all windows must be closed by 1230 to try and contain some of the noise. And this has been an arrangement that's been going on for quite some time. However, uh, some inspectors showed up recently and they found one of the windows opened at 1.30 a.m., a clear violation of the understanding of the bylaw that was in place governing Madame Morgans and their, and their neighbors. And apparently what happened was that uh, this was a dressing room and uh, the drummer of one band uh, apparently had too many burritos, uh, cut the cheese, and cleared the room. But before they cleared the room, they opened one of the windows to air it out and didn't close it until the inspectors showed up. So the club was fined $500 because the drummer farted. Ooh, talk about silent but costly. (laughs) Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.